in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, or in some way have those words in front of you, because we're teaching verse by verse, and you need to have that. And Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name now, by the power of your word, by the, the working of your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church this evening, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, the first five books of the Bible are penned mostly by Moses. And the oral tradition was a very solid thing. Uh, Moses, now by the power of the Holy Spirit, pens not just the history, but also uh, by the Holy Spirit. He's writing the word of God. And so we just ended the book of Genesis, and now Exodus, like the other books of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the first five books, they start with this word, and, or now. And, and so it's saying now that the next section of Israel's history. And we discover that when Moses takes the children of Israel out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, they had been there 430 years. And so Moses was 80 years old. So we subtract 80 from that 430, and we find that from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus is about 340 years in between what we just read about Joseph and and uh, Jacob, and Jacob died, and Joseph talked to his brothers. We looked at that whole story. And now about 340 years later now, it says, and continuing on now, let me repeat. These are the names of the children of Israel, also known as Jacob, who came to Egypt. Each man from his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zublon, Benjamin, Dan, Niftili, Gad, and Asher. All these who were the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons for Joseph, and it was already in Egypt, so 70 plus people. And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. So now, many of the Egyptian dynasties has, have gone by. The children of Israel... Uh, have been there now for hundreds of years. And we discover that in verse 7, the children of Israel were fruitful, increased, abundantly, multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. I, I, I love this. It's, it's try to come up with another word in this. You look at the list. They were fruitful. Oh, God, let, let this list apply to us. You know, the Bible, the Bible says if we honor God, he'll honor us. The Bible says if we'll seek him first in his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things of the earth, he can then add to us. It says in Malachi, if we honor God with our tithes and offerings, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing more than we can contain. We see the book of Acts where they kept multiplying and, and added to the church and God's blessing uh, with power and the moving of the spirit. And may it be that we here at Calvary Chapel San Diego are fruitful, increase, abundantly, multiply, grew exceedingly mighty 
And the land is filled with people believing in the Lord and loving the Lord and fellowshipping in the Lord. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be awesome just to cruise over to the closest Starbucks and, and there's people with their Bibles open and drinking some coffee and talking about Jesus and you, you, you pull up to McDonald's and there's somebody from our church sharing the Lord with another guy, praying at another guy to, to come to Christ. You're in the grocery store and there's somebody praying for somebody in the row there in the, in the grocery store. Just, the, the, just a community that's just got the power of God's spirit and the moving of God's spirit and, and just that spirit of salvation coming in our community. If God's people, we talked about this Sunday, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. But we want more than just to not be wounded, right? <laughs> not be, we're not in the hospital. Woo, we're doing great. You know, we'd like to do exactly these eight things here. Well, in verse eight, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, you're just going, what? I mean, this story of Joseph would, would have to be legendary in the history of Egypt, how all the world came to them and brought all their wealth and how Egypt uh, took care and kept that part of the world alive for seven years. But we, we find that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So we begin to look at other parts of the Bible on this same story and see if there's some clues for us. And what do we discover? When Stephen is giving a sermon right before he was stoned to death on the history of Israel, he comes to this part of the story and he says this in Exodus 17, 18. He says, tell another king arose who did not know Joseph. Now, why this is important is in the Greek languages, unlike English, there's two different words for another. One is heteros, one of a different kind. So you're drinking a coffee and you sort of get a little look on your face and I'm like, would you like another, in other words, hot chocolate or tea or something? Or you see you drinking the coffee and you drink it down and wow, you're glass is empty, then I could say alos, one of the same kind. Do you want one of the same kind? Do you want another one? And what's key here is this is the word heteros, which means a king of a different type rose up. And what do we find in Isaiah 52.4? As it's recording the history there, it thus says, for thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then after that, an Assyrian oppressed them without cause. And so evidently in this history of Egypt, they were overtaken by the Assyrians. And they put not an Egyptian in power, but an Assyrian in power who did not have the history, or as was typical, they did everything they could to erase the history of the kingdom before them, and uh, often did a very successful job of it. And so that would make sense why this guy had no knowledge of who are these Hebrews, and, and you know what Joseph did to bless Egypt, 
completely forgotten about. And so because of this, they didn't have that connection that they had had for hundreds of years with favor uh, from the Egyptians because they had been such a blessing to them. All of a sudden it changed, sort of overnight. And this new Pharaoh, this new king said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in an event of war that they also join our enemies, fight against us, and so they go out uh, of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built a Pharaoh supply cities, Pithion and Ramses, Ramesses, and the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and there were the dread of them, of the children of Israel. So they said, look at these guys, they're powerful. And, and if they could join with our enemies and maybe they'll leave and then we don't have a whole servant class here to serve us. So we need to get them under control. And so they just started slowly making the laws against the Jewish people. <laughs> Boy, this is, this is, repeated history of the Jews, isn't it? Everything God loves, Satan hates. And he is truly evil and he's out to still kill and destroy. And so they begin to shape laws and mold it till people become poor and living hand to mouth and barely surviving. And then in this oppressed situation, they're able to control them and, and then eventually turn them into slaves. And this is what it evolved into. But notice what happened. The more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. I, I, I love that. Boy, what a powerful sentence. Because we find that theme throughout the Bible, don't we? We just find that continual theme. I think of James where it just says, get this in your brain and just when you're in a trial, when you're afflicted, when you're going through this oppression, he says in James chapter one, verse two, my brethren, count it joy. Just count it all joy. You know what? The more I'm afflicted, the more I'm in trials, the more I'm oppressed, the more I'm gonna grow. <laughs> the more I'm gonna be blessed. This is, this is what it is, is, is the, the, the afflictions and the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties of this life as believers, make us richer and better, and they grow us. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it goes on to say, count it all joy when you fall into all these various trials. They have all different shapes and sizes and looks, don't they? Knowing, doesn't say we're going to feel it or see it, but we know that the testing of our faith produces patience. And let patience have its what? perfect work. Count it all joy when you go into various trials. Why? Because in this trial, in this affliction, God has a perfect work. And that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. It, you know, it, it's we're sinners and we're going to die on our deathbed sinners. Okay, I'm not going to say we're not going to always struggle with sin till the day we die. But God says, I can keep growing you and growing you and growing you spiritually if you're willing. 
Now, if you're unwilling, then I've got to stop the trial because it's not growing you anymore. And, and so I, I'm not going to let these things come into your life to torment you only and no growth. But if you're willing, this is the plan I have for you. And it is full of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And, and if you will just have a yielded spirit and say, God, you turn all things around for good. Lord, I know this trial is happening because there's some areas in my life that you're bringing into maturity and a completeness until I can say like the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Or like Enoch, who walked with God and was not. And so we see that this is a continual theme throughout the Bible. And when we come to that place, we need to have faith. And I, I, I'm definitely not saying I am some guy who gets that down. I, it's a brand new lesson. It seems like every time it happens to me where it's like, oh, man, have faith in God again. You know, I hate these trials, but I, I know it's necessary. And then, of course, when God's strengthened you and matured you and comforted you and, and then you have a greater ability to bless others, it, it is it's incredibly satisfying. Of course, in Romans 8, Paul says, man, we're counted as uh, sheep to the slaughter all day long, you know. And then he says what? We're more than conquerors because he loves us. Neither height, nor depths, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing's going to keep God from holding on to us and loving us through all the things the devil throws at us. Well, in verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all the uh, manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve uh, with rigor. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives and of whom the name of the one was uh, Shifra and the name of the other Pua. They actually found out that that's her last name. Her first name is Winnie. Winnie the Pua. Anyway, I have been all over the world, and people's names are very strange to, to you. But anyway, it didn't sound strange to them. Um, anyway, <laughs> Shifra and Pua. And when they uh, do their duties, Pharaoh said to them, to these midwives, who probably over a whole industry, a whole union of midwives. They were sort of the ones in charge. They said to these women, see then uh, that when these women are on their birthstones, when they're giving birth, and if it's a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. You know, I, I, I don't want anybody here to feel condemned if you have had an abortion but I do want to make it clear that science, especially since Roe versus Wade has increased and there is no doctor or scientist who will be honest with himself to say, we are killing a baby. And most abortionists are way up into their 70s. Younger people won't do it. Some doctors are forced to do it if they want a job at certain places. But then you might remember during the Clinton administration, he right away passed what's called partial birth abortion. 
And what this is, is exactly what we read right here. And that is where you, the doctor uh, causes the birth of the baby to come in its last few days, weeks. And when the baby starts to come out, he scrambles its brains and kills it and then delivers it the rest of the way out of the womb dead. And, uh, you know, we say, oh, this is such a pagan society. Yes, we are. <laughs> and, and again, we, we often don't want to be confronted with these things because it is so horrific. Um, and I've seen people just in rebellion against God. Matter of fact, today I was watching the news and it had a speaker, Martha Plimpton, speaking in Seattle at an abortion rally. And uh, she was the young girl in the movie Goonies, if that helps. But she was saying today on the news, uh, she was speaking at the abortion rally, she goes, I want you to know, Seattle, one of my best abortions was right here in your city. You know, you guys got a great abortion clinics here. And, you know, I don't want you to get jealous. Yes, I've had more than one, but my best one was right here. And everybody's laughing. And, and I'm just, I, I mean, I was, I'm still sort of in shock. Of just, is, is there no fear of God? Is, is your, your conscience so seared that you couldn't feel that life inside you? And, and that spirit of that being and your soul touching that soul and that soul touching your soul and then it no longer there. And again, if you've had an abortion or you've encouraged a girl to have abortion, God forgives, God heals. But it, I, I just don't want anybody here today to, to think that, oh yeah, you know, the woman having a, a right to abort's a wonderful thing, it's, it's murder. It's murder, not of just anybody, but a innocent, the most innocent person on the earth, a child, a baby. And uh, again, if it's horrific to me, again, how if a woman's pregnant and a drunk driver hits her and the baby dies, then he goes to prison for murder of that baby. But if she goes to the abortion clinic and kills it, it's not murder. Or if she was hit by that same drunk driver after the abortion clinic. What, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I can't believe how they don't make those connections. You know, a woman's stomach is what? A, 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 a tiny little inch between her and that baby being on the outside of her. So if you could take that baby out of her stomach and stick it behind a, a wall, the same thickness, and reach around the wall and strangle that baby, that's murder. But yet if a doctor puts his hand around the wall inside her and kills that baby, it's not murder. The wall of the stomach, behind the wall of the stomach is not murder. But it, 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 it again, it, it, it dumbfounds me. And just to make it clear that as horrific as it is, Pharaoh was desperate. He didn't have any problem whatsoever. And of course, we see Satan in this. 
He's always trying to destroy the children of Israel. Probably more importantly, he's trying to annihilate the possibility of the Messiah. All the way back in Genesis 3, the prophecy of the one that would come, the seed of the woman and, and, and be our salvation. Satan trying to quench out, destroy. We see it later in the book of Esther when Haman tried to destroy the, the existence, annihilate genocide of the Jewish people. And of course, Satan's repeated that game throughout history. And, uh, and so here, these midwives, I, in verse 17, it says, they feared God. They did not do what the king of Egypt commanded them, but s saved the, the male children alive. So when the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, now why have you not done this thing, this partial birth abortion move, and save these, but you've saved these male children alive? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth both uh, before the midwives even get there. So, you know, we can't kill them now that they're officially born. You don't want us to kill them just on the spot out of the womb. You wanted us to look clever about it. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's a little bit of complication. And then you break the baby's neck and then pull it on out. That's what I wanted you to do. But I didn't want you to bring the baby out and then kill it sitting on a table or in its mother's arms. I wanted you to be more clever. And, and they, they just came up with this story going, hey, these Egyptian women, they're working hard in the fields and building stuff. And, and man, they're just so physically uh, athletic that they just pop those babies out before we even get a chance to do our job. Now you say, well, that, that was a lie. Yeah, it, it, it was. But understand when two absolutes collide, there is a greater good. And it's usually very, very clear. I remember in the story of Corey Timboom and in her book, The Hiding Place, her sister said, I can never lie no matter what. And so she had told her family, her dad and Corey, that if a Gestapo ever knocked at the door and said, are you hiding Jews? She would have to say yes, because she, she just has to trust God, she can't lie. And so her dad and sister said, you can never answer the door. And sometimes she would forget and start and they would yell at her. Corey's like, no, we have no Jews here whatsoever. And, and of course, it was, it was in her sister's mind, it's like, God will, I, I'll just tell the truth and God will protect the babies upstairs and the old people that were hiding, you know, and, and, um, and Corey's like, God's not gonna see that as a lie. <laughs> He's gonna see that as his protecting a human life. And so we, we do find these throughout the scriptures where um, man gives you a command, but God's giving you a greater command. And so when you obey God, you're not sinning. Even though, I mean, the, these midwives could have done what Daniel, or, or excuse me, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, right? They just said right to the king's face, we're not going to bow down. I mean, they could have said, oh, yeah, Shadrach couldn't make it. He's got a tummy ache, uh, but he's bowing down to that golden art aisle in his heart, you know, uh, back in the bed. I mean, he, they could have came up. They're just like, no, kill me. I mean, these Egyptian, the, these midwives could have said, we are not killing babies. We fear God. And I rebuke you in the name of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God said, if you curse the children of Israel, you will be cursed. And if you bless them, you'll be blessed. So I'm just letting you know uh, right before you kill us, you are in a very bad place if you curse the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because God will curse you. 
I mean, and then they could have been martyred. I mean, that could have been this, but their faith said it's better for us to stay alive and keep deceiving Pharaoh and keeping the babies alive than to lie and be martyred and from hire somebody that really will uh, make them kill the babies. So that was their faith at this time. And God saw that um, they were fearing him and honoring him. And so um, it tells us there that God dwelt well with these midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. So they, under even a greater persecution, a greater affliction, they even started multiplying even more than they already were. And in verse 21, and when it was because of the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So they had their, their own families and they multiplied, um, not, not just for others, but they themselves were blessed and gave birth. And Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. And uh, now in verse chapter two, verse one, and the man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was very beautiful child, she hid him three months. It's a good thing it wasn't ugly. No, it's not talking about physical beauty. There was just a sense of the presence of God with this little guy. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it in the asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. It tells us in Hebrews 11:23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So they didn't do this in fear. They did this in faith. And God was speaking to them to, by faith, not give in to, to Pharaoh and his wants or not to hand him over to, to, to be thrown into the Nile and killed like other people were doing so they could continue on with their lives. And, uh, and so they, they took him and they put him in this little basket and they put him in the weeds there along the Nile River. And in verse five, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down and bathed at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside and when she saw the ark among the reeds, he sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is the one of the Hebrew children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women? And she, she may nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So that's a pretty good deal. Somebody to pay you to raise your kid. <laughs> so the woman took the child and nursed him. You know, for me in going through trials and afflictions and, and crazy things, as, as Paul says there, you know, we're, we're crushed and perplexed and we're cast down, but you know, we're, we never do get completely uh, trashed. I think a, a huge part of that for me is the sovereignty of God. 
of just knowing there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. So these, this couple happened to meet. <laughs> they decided, it, even though it was a bad timing, to go ahead and have kids. I mean, sometimes you look around going, eh, maybe we shouldn't start a family yet. You know, since they're killing off the boys and, you know, uh, maybe we should just wait until maybe that edict passes in a few years. But no, they, they had in their heart, no, by faith, we need to start a family no matter what is going on. And then when Moses was born, it was a boy. And their neighbors, maybe their family members are going, dude, you better, you better give them up or they'll kill the whole family. They might kill your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and all your nieces. And, and you know, there probably ought to have been a lot of pressure. And no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And uh, she came up with this crazy idea. I'll put him in his own little boat and hide him amongst the, on the riverbank there in the weeds. And then tells the daughter, keep an eye on him. And then it just so happened that, that of all the spots that Pharaoh's daughter could have picked to go bathing, that was the exact spot. And just at the perfect timing, she heard the baby cry. And then it just so happened this young girl had an idea. Hey, you want me to go get a nursemaid for you? And it just so happened she decided to hang on to the Hebrew baby rather than kill the baby. And then, I mean, you just keep going. Guys, there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. We're going to learn that through Exodus where Moses is like, I can't talk so well. And God's like, I made you that way. There's no coincidence. I made the blind. I made the withered. I made the halt. I, I, the Lord, made them. It's my will for some people not to be able to walk. It's my will for some people not to be able to have eyes to see. But yet, not walking, they'll be more fruitful. Not being able to see, they will see more. I, there's, there's, I'm not making any mistakes here. I'm fully in control. And in this world, if you live long enough, things will be thrown at you that are just out and out crazy. And, and there's just points going, God, why are you allowing this to go on? Again, in that story in the hiding place, that, that was just so difficult because they're hiding the Jews and, and they were there in Holland and, and the dad gets taken and the older sister and Corey, Corey was 50 years old at the time and her sister was older. Her dad was in the 80s. They all get put into a concentration camp and um, the dad ends up dying the, the, the sister was just horribly persecuted she was such a sweet spirit this one particular guard just had it out for her sister and, and just gave her more and more hard work until it killed her but one day the, they were in their cabin there and, and uh, the sister was teaching a bible study and just how and everything give thanks and this one lady said, so you can, God's in everything. Yes. Then can you give thanks for these fleas and all these lice? And her, she looks at Corey and Corey just is fuming. And then her sister starts going, Lord, I know there's a reason for all these lice and all these fleas. And, and they're all biting us, but I know that's their perfect will. And I thank you for every one of these. And, and Corey just lost it. She just hardened her heart against God over that moment. Well, years later, Corey speaking, and this guard comes up. 
and she's talking about how they had Bible studies all day long and could sing and worship and and how they had Bibles in their barracks and stuff. And the guard came up and go, you know what? Every single cabin in that place, we turned and tossed every day. People would try to hide a piece of food or whatever. But we never did your cabin because you guys had so many lice and fleas. Not even the guards wanted to go in there. We definitely didn't want to turn over your mattresses. So the fact that you were left alone is just, is just a, a miracle. And immediately God just pricked Corey's heart. And this is decades later going, the, the lice and the fleas <laughs> were a blessing. You, you just didn't know it. And so I, I don't know, it just so impacted my life as a teenager hearing that and just, just realizing, guys, there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. You bump your toe in the middle of the night on the chair, just go, thank you, Lord. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. And, and we just got to keep reminding ourselves this. But I think the, the, the thing that, that would just should stop us more than anything, I, I, love, I like the way 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says it. It says this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. And then in the New Testament, through the sanctification by the Spirit, believe in the truth. So right now, guys, well, man, Moses was lucky. No. <laughs> Moses, before he was even in his mother's womb, while in his mother's womb, we find in Jeremiah, he was called. God had chosen Moses for salvation, to not die under the hands of Pharaoh, to not die in the Nile. It was something God had before time began, had arranged that Pharaoh's daughter would choose him and he would grow up in the Egyptian palace. God had before the children of Israel had even come into existence, God saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he saw them. Remember back in Genesis 15, when Moses, when Abraham said, I'll never have kids, and God said, look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And then he turned around and told Abraham, but they're going to go to a foreign land. They're going to be horribly abused there for four generations, 400 years. But then they'll come back. So before Abraham even had Isaac, <laughs> God had already not only saw all his children, but had already seen Moses take them out of exit, out of Egypt. He had already seen it. And what I'm saying is, the, is the, the gifts and the calling of God, they don't change for any of us. What I'm saying is there's no partiality in God, that God has appointed you from the beginning. He chose you, he elected you, he predestined you before time for salvation. So there was no luck involved for Moses. There was no, wow, that was, that was really interesting how that, you know, uh, Moses' baby, man, he, he got to be raised by Pharaoh. No, this was all a part of God's preordained plan. And the Bible says now, he, your, God's preordained plan for your life comes down to the number of hairs on your head. 
He knows every word before you speak it. He knows every thought before you think it. He's hedged you in behind and before. Doesn't take away your personal responsibility. But God knows. And, and I, I just think when we look at this, just the horrific situation of them being so afflicted and their baby boys being thrown into the Nile and this oppression is just getting worse and worse and worse. God, God was in this. God saw it. He told Abraham about it before any kids were even born. God knew this whole situation. Well, in verse 10, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Josephus said that she had no other kids. So Moses would be the heir of all of Egypt. So she called his name Moses, which means to, to come out of the water, saying, because I drew him out of the water. And it says in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. This is important because we're gonna see Moses, God calling him going, I can't even talk. I can't do anything. But yet at this point, at 40 years old, he was a man mighty in word and mighty in deed. Josephus says that he actually led the Egyptian army in battle against the Ethiopians and was a great war hero. But he saw himself as a great Warrior, He saw himself as a great leader. And what did he do with that in verse 11? It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren, looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one uh, of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out a second day, behold, two Hebrews were fighting. And he said to one that was doing the wrong. Why are you striking your companion? And he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me and, uh, as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I love the book of Hebrews here in verse 11, or in chapter 11, verse 24 to 27, it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he took off his Egyptian garb and was acting, identifying with his Hebrew brothers and choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, I love this, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, and he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Wow. Moses, maybe through his parents in those younger years, he got the message that there was a Messiah coming and he was looking to the Messiah. He was looking to God being the salvation and he just said all the riches, and he did literally have the riches of the world at his fingertips. He would rather suffer with the children of God than to have, be the wealthiest man in the world, a multi-billionaire. He would rather have Jesus 
than anyone or anything on this earth. And God saw that faith and got his salvation. And it, it, it caused God, as it says in Hebrews and other places, it caused God to be well pleased to be called his God. Well, Lord, we thank you for this, Lord, because it's such a, an example to us and it's, it pierces our heart because here in America, we can easily just soak up the pleasures of this life and this world and, and sacrifice little for your kingdom. Even to give 10% is hard. To give up just a couple hours a week is, is, is almost invading. To take the time to share the Lord with somebody or to stand up because we fear you to speak the truth, knowing the consequences will come if we speak the truth. Lord, we're just sort of pierced to the heart as we look at the faith of these midwives and look at the faith of Moses' parents and, and look at this deep conviction of faith of Moses, not caring what he would have to suffer. He wanted to follow the Messiah. He wanted to be with God's people and, and whether whatever came with them, no matter how hard to be with them, because he was looking to God being his salvation. Lord, help us now to hear your words, Jesus, to deny ourselves, take up that cross and follow you. You said, unless we hate father, mother, brother, sister, yes, even our own life, we can't begin to follow you. So Lord, help us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all those things that are so opposite of your nature and of following you. Just let it die and be pilled away from us that our eyes can be set upon you let go of every sin and every weight that is holding us back let all the egypt stuff go that's really holding us in bondage and and to follow you out of this misty lowland where we've been so long to follow you jesus just right now this is a chance just for you to pray that same prayer God, forgive me for finding, trying to find an easy believism, trying to find a Christian faith that costs me little, that takes a little time, a little money, a little commitment as possible. Lord, strip us away from that and let you and you be our master passion and nothing else. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.